Hi, thanks for joining our podcast at Renew Church OC, a church for imperfect people only. We have a special announcement. A small crew from our church and I co-authored a children's book series and journals that help people find their calling with profits going to the foster community. Our website just launched and we would love for you to take a look and do some Christmas shopping. I dropped our link and a special promo code for our listeners in the description section. This month, all eyes were on the election as people were hanging their hopes and nightmares on Trump or Biden. And 2020 has been defined by these waves of fears pulling at our attention, whether it's the pandemic, racial injustice, or Kobe dying. Yeah, I'm still hung up on that. Our sermon series, Refocus, is about putting our eyes back on Jesus instead of being fixated on these external events. I hope that as you focus on Jesus and the gospel again, you'll see the world through his eyes. Enjoy the sermon. So I hope you had a great time sharing stories about those meaningful relationships and that you got a chance to reminisce through those pictures. You know, I made a commitment a long time ago to take more pictures. And for me, it's really hard to do that because I take picture taking as such a hassle just to get everybody together in a group, to get them all set, uh, posing for a picture just takes a lot of time and it's a hassle for me. But you know what I've realized? I always regret when I don't take pictures of a specific place, specific people, specific events. Because when I go back and I look at the pictures that I have taken, they create so many fond memories. You know, I was going through my pictures and I felt very nostalgic. You know, I thought of all the fond memories. I have a picture that I want to show. Could you put that up right now? And this is what I'm thankful for. Let me share with you. Uh, There was a guy named Jamie Spaven. Uh, When I first came out to California, uh, he took me in as a roommate. He didn't know me from Adam, but we were going to the same church, and he volunteered to take me in as a roommate. And I remember that first year, it's a long story, but I actually mooched off of him. I ate all his food, I used all of his uh, things, and he was just so gracious, so loving. And I remember that year, uh, it actually brings tears to my eyes when I think about it, how good he was to me. And I remember uh, at the end of the year, he actually bought me a bed. I was sleeping on a mattress, right? Uh, I had my own room, but he actually bought me a big bed for, for, for me to sleep on. And he wasn't a rich guy. It wasn't like he was wealthy, but he was actually very rich in love. And so I remember he was such a great roommate. As a matter of fact, uh, I also remember that um, he told me that before Joanne and I met, he thought maybe that would be the right person for me. And so he began to pray for me even before I said, you know, I'm interested in Joanne. And when he found that out, he actually prayed for me some more and we talked things through. And he was such a great, great person, Jamie Spaven. A person in the picture I'd like, you to, show, uh, I'd like to show you is a guy by the name of Jonathan Choi. Um, when I first met him, he was the financial aid director at Talbot. And I needed financial aid at the time. And uh, we got to know each other. Little did I know that we would go to the same church. We'd actually start a church together. And I remember he was such a great friend. I had gone through, I think I shared this before in other messages, uh, through a crisis of faith, through deep depression. He was one of the guys that really helped me. He actually sent me books 
uh, about the goodness of God. And he bought those for me. And he would pray for me. And he would take me out to eat. And he would talk through uh, different questions and different issues. Not that he was some major theologian. That wasn't him at all. But he was an ear that I could just, just share, just almost throw up to, right? And he just listened. And he was such a good friend. And when I look at his picture, you know, I get really emotional too. Uh, another guy I want you to see is a guy in that same picture. His name is Oliver Lynn, and he was very close to me, and he also was a part of that church, and when he and his wife, Marina, left uh, to go to Northern California, he actually was accepted to do PhD work in psychology at Stanford. What he did was pretty unbelievable. He gave me his Toyota Paseo that he drove. It was his car, and when he left, he gave it to me. And that was a time in my life where we only had one car and we needed another. And, you know, finances would be tight if we bought one. And by the grace of God, he gave me his car. And for years, I drove that green Toyota Paseo around. And every time I drove it, I thought of his goodness. You know, I look at those pictures and I remember clearly all of the blessings. I was filled with thankfulness. I was so grateful because of what those people have been in my life. And I'm sure when you look at your group pictures, you also have those same feelings. You know, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4. And I want you to notice, this is the end of Paul's letter. And that's where we're going to look today. He mentions in the end of his letter, a specific group of people who made up a community a prison community, if you will, because Paul was in his imprisonment under house arrest. These were the people that helped him during his time. And Paul concludes the letter of Colossians by including pictures. Paul includes a group picture that we can look at. Now, today's message is a very, very simple one. And it's very unusual because all I'm going to do is I'm going to mention obscure names that you probably never even heard of. But these names preach a profound truth about community. In Colossians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 6. Follow along with me. It says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may... that." You may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now drop down to verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in all the will of God. This is God's word. You see, Paul is in his first Roman imprisonment, around 60 AD. And here he names a group of first century Christians that we may easily pass by without even a second thought because he does it in other letters. But you know, the Bible includes these names. And I believe it's very important that we study these friends as obscure as they are to us. These friends who help Paul because they give us a concrete example of community. D.L. Moody, the great revivalist, said success in the Christian life depends on spiritual support. 
You know, sometimes when we look at the Apostle Paul in the Bible, we think of him as some superhero, some super Christian who didn't need anyone. But the fact of the matter is, Paul always had companions around him all the time. Rarely was he ever alone. There were periods, but you know, at the most of his life, we see him with people. You see, we can't live life on our own. We're not meant to be lone rangers because we were created for community. We need the spiritual support of others. The other day, I had a person come to me and say, you know, I don't need church. And I don't need to come to church regularly on Zoom or anywhere else because really Christianity is about me and God. As long as I'm having my devotions, as long as I'm praying, I don't really need to commit to a church. You know, I had to share with that person that that's not a biblical idea. Spirituality, could you put this up, this next slide? Spirituality is personal, but spirituality is also personnel. Spirituality is personal. It is a relationship with God. No one can live your Christian life for you, right? You can't leech off of someone else's faith and Christianity. It is between you and God. It's personal. But spirituality is also personnel. It involves people, and God uses them to help you to grow. You see, we don't grow in a vacuum. We need people who are around us, who are beside us, who are helping us in our Christian life and in our Christian faith, right? We stand on the, uh, the shoulders of other people in our lives. And so Christianity is about personnel. And we want to look at some of these personnel. Number one, we want to look at Tychicus, the faithful servant. Let's look in verse seven again. It says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. I want you to notice what Paul says. Paul is not the type to flatter. He does not mince words. So when he uses words like dear brother, beloved, faithful minister, servant, we know that Paul means it. You see, Tychicus had been with Paul for four years. And it's interesting that we don't know any of his talents we don't know any of his abilities. All we know from these verses is that he consistently and constantly served. Tychicus always served. He had a servant's heart. You know, there, uh, I had a youth pastor. I don't remember any of his messages, but one thing that he said I do remember. He said, Christians need to be fat, okay? Not obese or overweight. He was talking about how Christians need to be F-A-T. It was an acronym. And it stood for faithful, available, and teachable. And that's really the definition of being a servant. Faithful, available, and teachable. F stands for faithful. Are you ready to do uh, whatever needs to be done in ministry? Are you A, available? Are you ready to be whatever you need to be in ministry? Are you teachable? Are you ready to learn? Do you have a humble spirit? Are you taking in the things of God? You see, that is what's needed to be a servant. And that's what's needed in our Christian community. I want you to notice that Paul says he's a fellow servant. That word servant is an interesting word. It means bond slave. It is the idea of a willing slave. And I want you to notice that there lies Tychicus's motivation. 
Tychicus served Paul. He was ready to be whatever the apostle, uh, ready to do whatever the apostle needed done. He was available. He was ready to be whatever the apostle needed him to be. He was teachable. He was ready to learn from the apostle. But Tychicus did not do this for, or did not do this ultimately for Paul or for men, but he did it as a willing slave of God. You see, we need bond slaves willing to bond together to serve faithfully in the work of God in his ministry. I want you to notice, first of all, that Tychicus was sent by Paul as a messenger. Look in verse 8. He says, I'm sending him to you. Now, he's going from Rome to Colossae. And I want you to notice that the journey he was sent required someone who would be faithful. It's not like today where you hop on a plane and you go to some other country and you come back. It wasn't like that. It was actually a very long and difficult and even perilous trip that he was crossing Italy and Greece on foot. He was traveling by sea across the Adriatic and Aegean. And he was going to a place that would require a lot of work to get there. I want you to notice that his mission was that he was available. He was trusted to be an encourager, to strengthen uh, the Colossians' hearts. Now, how was he going to do that? Well, through a delivery that he was making. He was taking the letter of Colossians, what we're reading right now, right? He was taking that to the people of Colossae. Imagine, Tychicus, and he probably didn't even know this back then, but he was taking the word of God to them. But not only that, he was also taking the book of Philemon. Did you know that? That's found in the Bible too. And it was for uh, a particular influential Colossian Christian, a leader in the church named Philemon. And we, we know that because we have it in the New Testament as well. But did you also know that Tychicus was also taking another book? He was taking the book of Ephesians. Now, how do I know that? Because in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21-22, just listen it's, it, Paul says, you know, in his, in his work of Ephesians, he says, Tychicus, the dear and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. And I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Exactly the same words he uses for Colossians, he uses for Ephesians. Now think about this. When you think about Tychicus, He was probably one of the most important men in the Bible because if it wasn't for his faithful, available, teachable attitude, we would be missing letters in the Bible. We wouldn't have Colossians and Philemon and Ephesians. Now, I know God is sovereign. I'm a Calvinist, right? I understand that. But God uses people. And God decided to use the fatness of Tychicus. Isn't that awesome? Later, we see that not only was he sent as a messenger, but later on we see that he's sent as an interim pastor for Titus. How do we know this? Well, in Titus chapter 3, as Paul winters in Nicopolis, he wants to see Titus, his son in the faith, whom he has discipled, who is now the pastor of the church of Crete. And here he tells him in chapter 3 and verse 12, you, Titus, come spend the winter with me, and I'll send Tychicus to interim pastor your church in Crete. Isn't that awesome? Not only that, but later we see that he is sent as the interim pastor for Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, we see that Paul, in his second Roman imprisonment, he knows he's going to be executed soon. He desires to see his son in the faith, uh, Timothy, as well. 
who's the pastor now of the church of Ephesus. And in chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, I'll send you Tychicus to interim pastor for your church as well if you come and see me. Because of Tychicus's faithfulness, he was sent to interim pastor two very important churches. He was entrusted with the inspired books of the Bible as we see in Colossians chapter 4. God used him in big ways because of his servant's heart. This reminds me how important it is to God that we be faithful in the commonplace, in the everyday, in the mundane, in the normal, in the daily service that we need to have for God. Tychicus. Now, number two, we want to look at Onesimus. Onesimus, the fugitive who became a family member. Let's look in verse 9. It says, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, Tychicus had a letter to give to a wealthy, influential Christian named Philemon. We have it in our Bibles. But as we look at the book of Philemon, we kind of understand what verse 9 is talking about. Because verse 9 doesn't mention this, but it's important for us to know. Onesimus was the slave of Philemon who ran away. By God's providence, he meets Paul in Rome and was gloriously saved. He became a Christian. So Onesimus agrees to go back to Colossae and go back to Philemon. And here Paul writes Philemon to welcome him as a brother, to treat him as a family member. Now here's my question. Did Philemon do that? Did Philemon treat Onesimus as a family member? Well, we have um, a, it's an extra biblical um, account uh, of Ignatius, the pastor of the church of Smyrna. This was a generation after, you know, the writing of scripture. Uh, Ignatius, we call him a church father. He was one of the very, very well-known, very important pastors of the, of the, of the church. And he writes a letter to the Colossian church a generation later. And this is what he says. I love this. Since then, I have received your entire congregation in the person of Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love and your dear pastor. I beseech you in the name of Jesus that you love him and all who follow his example. According to Ignatius, Onesimus becomes the pastor of the church of Colossae. What does that mean? It means that because of Philemon and the Colossian uh, church's love, support, care, encouragement of this new believer Onesimus, he turned out to be the pastor of the Colossian church, and Ignatius says he's an example of love, care, support, and encouragement. Isn't that awesome? And that's what discipleship within a community does. It raises up deep disciples who will impact the culture around them. It develops deep disciples who will influence the world around them. Let me ask you this. Who is the fugitive in your life? Who is the person who is lost and confused and in great need? Do you know that God is calling you to be a disciple? To treat, like Philemon did, a person that is in Onesimus as family. Okay, let's go to the third one. We want to look now at Aristarchus. And I want you to notice in verse 10 what's being said of him. Paul says, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings. Now, you might ask, well, why is he a fellow prisoner? The key is, 
Paul says, my fellow prisoner. What did he do? Well, he didn't do anything. As a matter of fact, it was Paul who was appointed or who appealed to Caesar and is in prison. It's Paul, not Aristarchus. So this uh, moniker, my fellow prisoner, was just a nickname that was given uh, by Paul and was expressed to the Colossian church because here Aristarchus voluntarily stayed with Paul. Aristarchus hung around Paul during his imprisonment. Now think about this. This was a very dangerous thing to do back in the ancient days to associate with a prisoner because you don't know at some point if they were actually going to make you a prisoner because of your association. There wasn't due process like we know it. So hanging around prisoners in the ancient world, you want to get as far away from prisoners as possible or you might be implicated, but not Aristarchus. We see he's there to help Paul, to encourage Paul, to sympathize with Paul. The first century had a Greek symbol for friendship. I love this. The symbol was a man with a scale. And one part of the scale said summer, and the other part of the scale said winter, and it was perfectly balanced. So the definition of friendship in the ancient world was to be a friend in the summer times and also in the winter times. You know, it's easy to be a friend in the summer, in the sunshine, when everything's going well. That's, that's easy to be a friend. But can you be a friend in the winter when it's the darkest and coldest part of someone's life, when they're in desperate need and they, 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 that's when they really need somebody to stand by them? You see, God calls us to be friends, to be encouragers, to pick our brothers and sisters up, to be sympathizers who would give up our freedoms for the sake of fellow brothers and sisters, to be helpers, to carry their burdens when they can't carry them themselves. You know, the Old Testament says it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie uh, down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. You see, we need Aristarchuses to help us up, to keep us warm, to make us unbreakable. You know, Galatians, the New Testament, says it this way in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Carry one another's burdens. That's one of the things that we're called to do as brothers and sisters. We are called to be Aristarchuses. The third one now is Mark. Mark, the failure who finished well. Now, he's first mentioned in Acts chapter 13 and verse 5. I'll just read this, okay? It says, when they arrived, this was uh, Paul's missionary journey. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Now, he was called, actually, his full name was called John Mark, and he started off as an assistant to Paul in his mission work. As a matter of fact, he came from a good home, a Christian home. Uh, His mom was one of the major leaders in the Church of Jerusalem. They had church services at his house. He was somebody that had a lot of potential, a lot of promise. I want you to notice, though, what happens to this assistant. In Acts 13, 13, it says, "From, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So John Mark, as an assistant, when he gets to a certain area, he actually uh, flakes out and he actually leaves his fellow missionaries. 
and he leaves them at the most dangerous part of the trip. Verse 14 tells us where they are. And when I read the commentaries, I realized that this was a very treacherous area. It was a mountain region that had a lot of uh, problems and bandits and different things. And so it was a very tough area to be. So when the going got tough, the point was John Mark deserted the gospel ministry and his companions. Now, in Acts chapter 15, here Paul and Barnabas are going on their second missionary journey. And I want you to notice in verse 37, just listen, it says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, think about this. If you were depending on somebody and that person flaked on you, how would you feel? What would you do? Well, Paul says, this guy is no use to us. We're not going to take him. And the Bible says they had such a sharp disagreement, Paul and Barnabas did, that they departed company, and Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, and sailed for Cyprus to do work, and Paul went with, with Silas. Now, have you ever had someone fail you before? It's something, and, and, and the more important thing it is when somebody fails you, you don't ever want to trust them again, right? You want to give them one chance, and then, you know, your opinion of them is set. But praise God for Barnabas, because Barnabas does not give up on Mark. As a matter of fact, I believe he's the, one of the main reasons that this failure actually finished well. And I'm thankful that God uses failures. We may fail, we may fall in our lives, but you know what? Praise God when he gives us the grace and he gives us the people to continue on and to do great things. Colossians 4 and verse 10, uh, notice this. It says um, that Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, sends you his greetings. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Do you know what that means? Paul is starting to see a repentant John Mark. He's starting to see a John Mark who now is not flaky anymore, but is somebody who's doing work because of Barnabas, right? And so he tells the Colossians, you know, you've heard he's flaky, but you know, he's not that anymore. He's a stand-up guy. When he comes, welcome him. And I think that's really cool. As a matter of fact, 11 years later, it's this guy, John Mark. He's the same person who writes the first gospel, uh, that has ever been written, and that's the gospel of Mark. Did you know that this failure was actually the first gospel writer in the Bible? And in 2 Timothy 4.11, at the end of Paul's life, he's awaiting execution. He tells Timothy to come to him, and this is what he says in verse 11, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry, in gospel ministry. Mark does a, does a 180, right? He's a failure who later on becomes very, very critical and important in the ministry of the gospel. You know, that's a perfect example that if you failed in your life, you can always get up and finish well by the grace of God. And God calls us to do that with marks in our lives. Okay, um, the third one is, it, actually, the last one, excuse me, sorry, is Epaphras, the fervent prayer warrior. Epaphras, the fervent prayer warrior. Let's look in verse 12. Well, actually, <clears throat> let me give you this. In Colossians chapter 1, 7 and 8, uh, is the first mention of Epaphras. And here's what Paul says. You've learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. That's how Paul 
uh, writes his greeting to the Colossian Christians. You know why he does that? Because scholars tell us that Epaphras was probably the pastor of the church of Colossae. He's the one who started the church. He's the one who shared the gospel. He's the one who grew and shepherded that community. And now he traveled from Colossae, Asia Minor, right, to Rome. Why? Out of concern that the Colossian Christians were getting involved in heresy. They were falling away by false teaching. And Epaphras was so burdened for that and so concerned about the Colossian Christians and that they were falling away that he goes to Paul to have him write Colossians. Now, Colossians chapter 4, and this is the the text that, that, that we're reading. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you. Notice what Paul says. He, Epaphras, is wrestling for you in prayer. He is working hard for you. You see, Epaphras is not just praying five minutes for the Colossians before his meals, before he goes to bed. No, he's wrestling with God that they might stand firm in God's will, that they might not succumb to heresy, that they may be mature and fully assured in their salvation. And the Bible says he's working hard for you. That word working hard means agonizing. He is working to the point of pain for the church. You see, we get a picture that Epaphras is fighting in prayer so that God would give the Colossians his blessing. He wrestles intensely with God in intercessory prayer so that God would give the Colossians uh, their be- uh, his best. Are we praying like that for each other? I've shared this um, illustration before. Uh, those of you that have heard it, you can just tune me off right now. But I want to share it. I think it's really good is uh, when I was a teenager and I didn't know Jesus and I didn't want to hear things about the Lord, I remember my mom, uh, every Saturday morning, she bought a big uh, marching band drum. I don't know where she got it. She had a strap on it and everything. And she had those um, big uh, um, um, sticks, I I guess that's the right term. (laughs) And she would come into my room Saturday mornings, boom, boom, boom. And she would play. And she's not musical at all. That's probably why she had drums, right? And she would sing, are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Boom, boom, boom. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. And I would tell my mom in high school, I'd say, mom, get out of my room. Go away. And she said, no, David, let's pray together. And I'd say, mom, I don't want to pray, right? And she would keep beating those drums and singing that song. And there'd come times where I would put you know, the covers over my head every Saturday, right? Covers over my head. She would pull back the covers. Uh, she was a tiger mom, by the way, Asian, Korean, right? So she'd put her hands on my head and she said, Jesus, get, get a hold of this guy, you know? Get a hold of my son. He's so rebellious. He doesn't, you know, care about you. Lord, you know, uh, make him into a man of God. Make him love you. She would pray those kind of prayers every morning, or every Saturday morning, sorry, and she would sing those songs. And can I share with you, I'm here today in ministry, I really believe, because of the prayers of my mother. I know the Lord and have a rich relationship with him because I had an Aristarchus that was wrestling for me, that was fighting for me. I had an Aristarchus that was there working hard so that I may succeed spiritually in my life. And I thank God for her. I thank God for what she's done. Are you praying for people like this? It's one thing to say, I hope this church becomes successful. It's another thing to wrestle in prayer for its success.
Lastly, I want to say, as you look at this group picture, do you see where you fit? A faithful servant, a fugitive family member, a fellow prisoner, a failure who finished well, a fervent prayer warrior. I want you to know that these things are happening because of the one another's that we practice as a discipline in our lives. Can we put up the one another's? I know at the end we'll show this um, so that, you know, so that at the end you guys can, can talk about this. But just put this up, would you? I want you to notice in the New Testament we see nine one another's that are found all throughout Scripture. To love one another, to carry one another's burdens, to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to stir one another on in love and good deeds, to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another. Can I ask, as you look at these, how can you practice these one another's during this time of COVID? Because I guarantee you there are people who want to give up. There are people who are in great need. There are people that need to be prayed for. There are people that are seeking answers and direction in their lives. There are people who crave relationships. They don't have the friendships that they need in order to really grow and be encouraged. They crave service. You see, these are things that we can easily do even during a time of COVID. We can do it and we can think of creative ways in which we can serve one another. Because I'm telling you, our Christian life is personal, but our Christian life is also personnel as we live it out uh, with each other. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes just in a word of prayer. As the Lord speaks to your heart, I want to ask, is God calling you to refocus on community? Is he calling you once again to get out of our sloth and slumber and to be these men that we've talked about, these people that made a, a tremendous, tremendous uh, transformation in the Church of Colossae. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts once again. We pray that you would do your mighty work. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.